everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Civ Show podcast, where we suck so you don't have to. I'm your host, Moisos. Raising Zozo. And as always, Nystagmus here. And we have an incredibly special guest with you today. We've been hyping this up for over a month now. We have special guest Christopher Tin with us. Christopher, how are you today? I'm doing okay. You know, COVID sucks and all that. I mean, but, you know, as good as can be, really. I mean, you look like you're in your studio, right? Like, you you look like you're still kind of creating music even through this COVID situation, right? You know, I'm creating less these days um, because, you know, I don't have the team that I used to have because of COVID, right? I mean, I used to have up to three assistants um, and they've all sort of scattered to the winds and now it's just kind of a one-man show right now. So productivity is very challenging in these days. And I also have a two and a half year old toddler who eats up a lot of her parents' time and it's wonderful. (laughs) I, I gotta tell you, actually having a kid during COVID if they're a toddler, I mean, it's kind of wonderful because, you know, you get a lot of time at with them at home since they're, you know, at a really cute age. But it's hard to get music written. I will tell you that. I empathize. <laughs> Not with the music writing, but. <laughs> yeah, I, I can I can newly sympathize with that. Oh, we got some dads on this. <laughs> we got some dads. Great. I got three. Yeah. But I, I oh love that during COVID, we, I got to spend so much time with them. And beforehand, it was just busy, busy, busy. So the silver lining, you know. Yeah. And all of this. That's the way I look and at I it. And I have a four-week newborn. Oh, my God. Newborn. Oh, dude. Okay, good luck to you, man. Yeah. <laughs> good luck to you. So I got Boy. my coffee right here, right? I know, right? Yeah, I keep slurping that down. Jeez. Is that Tim Hortons you're drinking? <laughs> oh, wow. Hey, See, careful. Those are fighting words oh, here. Oh, is that? That is. I see. I see. All right. Tim Hortons is the sacred relic of Canada. Oh, I know. I, I think it's equivalent to the Dunkin' Donuts in, in America. Is that right? I think so. It may be. So. Probably in pop, you know, in popularity, I guess. Well, maybe not. Uh, it's a, it's a imperfect analogy or uh, sure, comparison. Sure. So uh, uh, speaking of COVID, we're kind of curious um, how before you, you, you said you had assistance, how you collaborated in, in music and how COVID has affected that, that situation. Well, the big thing is that, um, you know, recording sessions have been shut down all around the world. Or they were shut down all around the world. They've reopened since. But um, I actually, as you mentioned before, I'm in my studio now. And I, I had just finished construction on this space after about three long years when the pandemic hit. So all the recording I was planning on doing here for, you know, some games that will be coming out soon this year, um, I had to, you know, that all just went uh, uh, you know, a home to the musicians' homes, basically. Like nowadays, musicians are recording from home. You know, a lot of pro session players have bought basic recording systems and are just kind of doing things remotely now, right? So, you know, it's uh, that's that's one change. I mean, the other change is, you know, you can't get together big orchestras and choirs. I mean, especially choirs, right? Choirs have been shut down for the last year. Um, and that really hurts the singing community. And as you know, a lot of my 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 music is you know, vocal in nature, right? So that's really affected things. I think there's just been shutdowns in terms of production. I mean, a lot of composers are finding themselves with just a little more free time than they used to have these days. You know, games haven't slowed down tremendously as far as I can tell, but, um, you know, it's it's just been challenging for everyone. I mean, like one game that I'm working on 
starting in January. I mean, it's it's a mom and pop indie development team and, you know, they have three kids. And just like we're talking about, you know, like how we just have no spare time now, they're trying to launch a new game and take care of their three kids. So, you know, Zoe, you know what I mean? Like three kids, that's insanity, right? I mean, can you imagine, you know, developing a game from during this? I mean, it's it's just craziness, right? As long as you have a slightly older one that can sort of keep the others in line, you know, it, <laughs> it, it, it works out. Parenting tips from the Civ show. Yes. <laughs> I love it. We have it. an expert See, over here. I man. love He's got it. The real so strategy it. is a space them out in a certain way. So <laughs> that's that right. Like that, that was kid. part of the plan. That was part of the plan. I space see, them I out. So the oldest is 10. So she can ah. keep the others in line. So it works. <laughs> Very good. Very good. So, so I know you had a, you mentioned that you like to use a lot of lyrics in your, in your work, Christopher Tin. So I know you had a question specifically to uh, one part. I do. Is that right? I do have a question. Uh, thanks, Moy. Uh, okay. So my question is this. Uh, for the Sogno de Voltaire, Voltaire, I love to butcher words, by the way. Uh, yeah, for the awesome. Flight of Dreams, uh, I've read that you use the modernized version of Leonardo da Vinci's writings on flight as its lyrics. Uh, can you share with us how you did that? And do you do this with other pieces of your music? Okay, so backing up just a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you all know this, but the reason I chose that quote, you probably know this, you're, you're you know, you're, you know, Civ. I mean, that was, that quote is essentially the, the tech tree quote from Civ 4, right? Leonard Nimoy says it when you develop flight. He says, for once you have flown, you will always look at the sky because that is your home and that is where you long to return, right? So I decided to base the theme for Civ 6 on that quote because um, honestly, Civ 4, I mean, you know, that's my favorite Civ. And honestly, I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you guys. Like I... You know, I mean, I'm I'm very loyal to that one because it it launched my career, right? Um, right, right. And uh, I thought, you know, the the developers of Civ Six said, you know, we really want this to um, uh, have this sort of feeling of exploration, right? That's the theme of Civ Six, and so. Um, I thought, well, okay, great. Let's just do this. Let's make a little Easter egg for all those longtime Civ fans out there, and use this quote from you know, the tech tree in uh, Civ 4. And, um, you know, so I, I, I found that quote. Now, the, the thing about that quote, the truth is Leonardo da Vinci never actually said that. It has been sort of like, um, sort of um, misassigned, misattributed to him over the, the, the decades I think it actually originated in some like documentary about him or something like that, right? But, oh, you know, pop culture has a tendency to take things and just kind of like assign them, you know, like to people. And then there it is, right? So um, I decided to use the quote anyway. But the thing is, that original quote, I could not find an original Italian version or rather an original Latin version of it, right? Obviously, it doesn't exist because he didn't actually say it, right? So we have to find some approximation of it either in Latin or in in modern Italian, right? And so I turned to my friend who's a a singer and a songwriter, um, and she's Italian. And I said, okay, here's here's the quote. And I need it to fit the music. And, you know, we know that it's not truly a quote that Leonardo da Vinci says, but everyone thinks it is anyway. And so what can we do with this? And I, at that point, also played her the melody I had in mind. And she helped sort of reconfigure that quote into 
the lyrics that you hear now on Sonio de Volare. So that was the long-winded process uh, of how that came to be. Wow. Uh, do other do your other works have similar Easter eggs in them? In them, there are often Easter eggs, uh, musical and lyrical, across all of my works. Um, but they, uh, you know, sometimes you you get more to work with in terms of the Easter egg department. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> this is a Civ theme. I can do stuff that relates to older Civs. I mean, you know, you you have stuff to work with here, right? Um, I tend, every time I, I do a piece with lyrics, um, the process is different. I mean, sometimes, you know, if you're taking a poem, for example, I mean, the poem just fits perfectly as lyrics and boom, there it is. You know, nothing you need to do to it. Sometimes if you have a concept for a piece, um, you need to massage, uh, you know, the source text just a little more. So, for example, I... Uh, on my newest album, To Shiver the Sky, the last movement is a setting of John F. Kennedy's moon landing speech where he says, we choose to go to the moon, right? That is a long, long speech, and there's no way I can use all of it. And frankly, speeches don't translate to lyrics very well because lyrics benefit from having a certain metrical regularity to them, but just spoken text, uh, speeches, prose, anything like that doesn't have that, that regularity, right? And so unless you want your music just to be sort of free form and, and length and duration and, and, and rhythm, you need to find a way to edit out a few words or maybe, you know, shorten a few phrases, things like that, just to make it work as a lyric. So I, I often find myself doing that. Cool. Uh, you you also mentioned that you're very loyal to Civ 4. It's the, yeah, the civilization that, yeah. that launched your uh career so yeah the stagmas i know you have a question about about that yeah because you did mention that, that that's the the one that you're very loyal to right the the theme from civilization four that we all know and love um and my main question was um after the success of uh, baba yetu um do you does that success change how you approach future work at all um or does it kind of cast a shadow at all over over how you would approach new pieces that you would create um well Sorry, I didn't even catch it. Yeah, I mean, it does actually affect the way uh, that I work in that um, ever since Bob, I wrote Baba Yetu and ever since it took off outside of Civ, first as, you know, just a, a, a popular piece in the video game music canon, but then secondly, as a piece that gets performed, right, by choirs, by orchestras, that gets licensed. I mean, it, it just kind of finds its way um, around the world in unexpected places, right? So the questions that I got asked after that um, by my uh, publishers, for example, you know, are like, you know, what are you writing next and can we publish that, right? So that becomes the big thing hanging over my head at that point. Like, okay, I'm going to write another theme and I know my sheet music publishers, Hal Leonard, Boozy and Hawks, they're going to want to issue this as a piece that gets performed by everyone from community choirs to professional orchestras, right? So you keep that in the back of your mind. And then, you know, you've got your record label. I have a record label now. It's Universal. They, they, they're constantly saying, okay, what game are you scoring now? Can we release that soundtrack, right? So I'm like, okay, well, I got you know, to keep that in mind, right? There's, you know, this is going to be a single on some soundtrack release, right? And there's going to be some marketing budget behind this. So suddenly, yeah, I guess the stakes are higher in everything I do nowadays. It's not like I can just kind of write something and then, you know, it just like 
kind of falls away, there's always this sort of scrutiny on everything you do. And that is particularly acute when you're talking about more Civ music, right? When it comes to like Civ 6 and Civ 6's theme, I mean, it was just like, God, what do I do to, to you know, live up to Baba Yetu, right? I mean, the pressure is on to try to find something that matches that. And that's no easy task in a way, right? I mean, that's kind of a tall order. So I personally have found more worth in um, taking on fewer projects and doing a better job of the ones I do take on. I think that is kind of my ethos right now. I mean, it goes back to this idea that I have about music that I've mentioned before in, in you know, lectures and stuff like that, where um, music can be basically divided into two groups, and that is great music and forgettable music. And on the forgettable music side, it's just the way music works. I mean, every year so much music comes out, so many films come out with, you know, new, new soundtracks on them, games come out with new themes, things like that. Out, you know, artists are releasing music constantly. There is this tendency for music just to be washed away, right, by history, right? I mean, you know, how many people are still listening to like, you know, the big hits from last summer, right? Not a lot. So, it's a real trick to try to write something that has a timeless quality to it that will stay relevant, you know, in some small fashion over over the years. And I think that's what you really want to do. You want to create things of permanence, of relevance that are evergreen, you know, that don't fade away into history. And I mean, in a way, that's the perfect I, I just described Civ right there, didn't I? Like, yeah, you know, you yeah, want to write did. pieces yeah, that stand the test of time, right? So and that's what you want to do. And speaking in my from opinion. from the follow up from from Civ Four to Civ Six, one of our actually one of our um, community members had a question about that between those two themes, uh, between uh, Baba Yetu and uh, uh, Sonia de Volare. Dream of Flight. Yeah, and and they want to know which one did you like best. Which one was your favorite of the Choose two a child. Choose a child. Okay. <laughs> Chris's <laughs> choice. <laughs> Here's what I think. I think, um, okay, so I think they each have something that's better than the other. Um, I think, structurally speaking, um, Baba Yetu is probably one of my best pieces in that the way that elements are introduced, um, the way we move from section to section, the way it's constantly building, the way that, you know, you think you kind of know what's happening. Suddenly there's a shift in the key, right? And then you've got this modulation section and then you've got this bridge and, and then you have this return at the end, you know, like so much of music is about the structure of it. Like when ideas are introduced, when the listener sort of comprehends those ideas and how they all sort of like play against each other as a piece of music evolves, right? So Bobby Etu is probably one of the best things I've written in the structural department. The other thing that I think is a really important aspect of music is the main theme itself, like the main melody, right? Um, and in that regard, I think Sonia de Volare is probably the best main theme that I've written, or maybe, you know, up there, right? One of the best. Um, you know, I think you can really judge a main theme on how well it stands when you reinterpret it on different instruments or you play it slow or you play it fast or you, you know, add a beat to it or, or, you know, whatever, right? The best, um, melodic ideas are the ones that, uh, tolerate 
transformation very well, right? Mm-hmm. So you can take a piece and you can just play it on a piano or you can sing it or you can you know, do whatever. And if it just stands up, then it's a solid uh, piece of music, right? Um, and in that regard, I think Sonia Duvalari is better. So they're both, you know, like, you know, one's the smart kid and one's the athletic kid or something, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's kind of my cop-out and, answer right there. The other thing I think about is when, when we each first... Uh, heard those pieces though there was also a visual component yes um to that like it's the opening of the game itself and uh i was also curious as to your involvement in how that visual component was also created to go along with the the uh, the piece itself um were you very involved in how they created those intros or was it more of like the visual effects um uh, other people who are in charge of that it's pretty much other people who are in charge of that and actually they sort of say here here's the intro you know Ta-da! Go for it, right? I mean, uh, so largely what you see on the menu screens is what I was given, actually. Uh, the one uh, difference, I would say, is um, with Civ Four and that menu screen, you know, it's a shot of Earth from outer space, right? And then every once in a while, the sun rises over the horizon, right? And I had put written Baba Yetu such that Every, you know, like eight bars or so, or 16 bars, there would be a suspended symbol that goes, right, leading us into a next section. And the idea was that that suspended symbol was supposed to um, match up with the sun rising over the horizon every time. And it happened at very regular intervals so that, you know, it would always sort of like match that that rise of the sun. Now, did that get implemented properly? It didn't on the Mac port. I can tell you that much. I mean, the first time I played it, I was like, okay, this yeah. is Max. not lining up at all. I don't know if it made it in the PC port, you know, or... or... We'll check later for you. I'll let yeah, you please, know let me know. That. Let me know. I mean, you know, there were honestly <laughs> a lot ports, of things man, about... ports. <laughs> yeah, I know. That that theme, I mean, you know, the interesting thing is that actually was the first time I ever wrote a piece of music for a video game. Like, that was my oh. first, first game gig, right? And I didn't really know what I was doing on the technical side. I mean, I didn't have to implement the music or anything like that. It was basically just, you know, here, Chris, write a piece of music and give it to us. And then we'll just kind of lay it in. But, um, you know, there were some surprises. Like when I had actually sent them the original recording of Baba Yetu, they actually took away, they stripped out all my drums and then they layered in a bunch of like synth marimbas and stuff like that, which um, that wasn't, you know, if you listen to the original Civ, for recording the recording that's on the game it sounds very different from the one that i subsequently you know released on my album right um that's because uh, you know they they stripped away my drums and then added their own drums for whatever reason um and i didn't even know that was happening until the game came out i was like what what happened to my piece? Like, what are, what is, what's all this marimba stuff going on? You here? questioned oh, wow. my decisions? What are you doing? <laughs> oh, no, what is Why? Why? My drums were fine. Please. Why did you do that? I don't know. But, it, you know, these things, uh, that's just how, like, the scoring world works. Like, a lot of times things just, um, you know, be, they, they undergo changes for whatever reason. And the composer, the composer is always the last to know, you know, usually you wind up going to the movie theater and suddenly you realize all your music's been thrown out or something like that. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's just kind of how yeah, the world works. Wow. That's my, oh. my corner of the world works. Kind of sucks sometimes. Uh, kind of speaking to that, one of my favorite renderings of Baba Yetu is uh, Tommy Tellerico's uh, video games live and like seeing it live is amazing. Seeing it performed live is amazing. Did you collaborate 
like closely with with Tommy on that, or did like he just do it to like his own rendering, or like was that a collaboration? That was somewhat of a collaboration. Yeah, I mean back then. Video Games Live was founded by Tommy and Jack Wall, you know, um, cooperatively. And um, I, I think, you know, you know, they sent me a, like a preliminary edit that they did of um, the medley. And I said, you know, we can do it a little better if we do it this way, right? Interestingly, the preliminary edit had um, the very first Civ fanfare in it too da, 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 da. yeah it starts with that and then it goes into you know my pieces right um and ultimately that fanfare was dropped and it just became my pieces which has, i'm like okay that's fine I'm, I'm good with that um yeah you know i mean i i did have a lot of input i mean those were the early days like baba yetu had just been you know released into the world like this is probably 2006 when I first connected with Tommy Tallarico and Jack Wall. I mean, I think we were at the Game Developers Conference and, um, you know, they have something called a demo derby where young composers just kind of play their their pieces, right, for an industry panel. And it was this panel of Jack Wall, Tommy Tallarico, Steve Schnur from EA, um, uh, Chuck Dowd from Sony, like some big wigs, you know, in the game industry. And I was this new composer uh, and I just you know, went up there and I played Baba Yetu, you know, just on this like open panel. And then everyone freaked out, which is kind of cool. Wow. Um, and then the panelists gave me a standing ovation. And then afterwards, they all gave me their business cards. And then Jack and Tommy were like, we want to add your music to our show. And then, you know, we started doing this. And then they introduced me to uh, the sheet music publishers uh, for Video Games Live. They're a company called Alfred Publishing. So I signed my first sheet music deal there. And then they put Baba Yetu into the world and it became this choral hit, right? So it all really started with Video Games Live in a way. Like those guys wow, sort of took nice. it from just being a game theme oh. and putting it into concert halls and... At the same time, um, you know, having it published, the sheet music published officially, right? So that just launched everything for me. So I owe those guys a, a big debt. Uh, every every career starts somewhere, right? And so that was that was your big kind of big break, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's part two of my big break. Part one was <laughs> even being hired to write it in the first place. And that was because of, I mean, I don't know if you guys know the story, but the, des- the designer of Civ 4 was my old roommate. Yeah. Soren Johnson. I mean, I, I've talked about this in a lot of interviews, um, yeah. but he was like, hey, Chris, I, I'm working on Civ now. And I'm like, oh, my God, I love Civ, you know, like, um, so he sent me a copy of Civ 3, which he had co-designed with Jeff Briggs. And, uh, you know, I, I played that and I got my head back into the Civ world. I skipped two. Like I was an original OG Civ player, but I skipped two because college, you know, <laughs> Good call. That's the time Good to call. play a lot of Civ. I know, I know, right? I mean, that was high school for me. I played a ton of... Just one more turn. Yeah, exactly, right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, you know, like, he was, he was like, Chris, you want to write music for Civ 4? I mean, there's there's more to the story than that. But, I mean, heck yeah. Like, I mean, this is the game that I logged so many hours on as a kid, right? So, man. So, I want to circle back to you playing in front of the judges. Or not playing in front of the judges, but, like, there was a judge of... Um, Tommy Tellerico and those others that you mentioned. What was more nerve wracking? Uh, playing in front of them and seeing their feedback or playing in front of your, uh, for your bachelors of arts, your first panel. Uh, what was more nerve wracking? Um, like presenting my music, I guess. I don't know. Yes. I think, 
I don't really think of either of them as as being particularly nerve wracking. I mean, okay, I'm not gonna, I, I, not to sound egotistical here, but like if you've written <laughs> something that you know is already kind of good, then it's really not all that nerve wracking to perform it or pr- present it, right? If you're, you know, if you present something where it's just kind of like, mm, is this good? I don't know. I'm not really secure about, you know, this. And then it, uh, yeah, then it becomes nerve wracking. I mean, I've definitely had a lot of nerve wracking experiences in this business. Like, I mean, you know, even going back to like my, 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 you know, auditions for grad school, for example, my God, those were nerve wracking. Um, but, and I still, I mean, there's still tons of nerve wracking stuff that happens to me that I'm just panicking about left and right. Right. Uh, but presenting my music has never really been, um, a nerve wracking thing for me. I mean, if I'm comfortable presenting it, it means I've, I'm, I've, you know, built it up to a point where I feel comfortable about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I don't really get nervous about that aspect of things. That's a really good answer, actually. <laughs> don't 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 feel egotistical. That's a really good answer. I know that okay, even good. for like myself, if I practice enough, I feel confident, and I'm not nervous about. It, I'm excited about it. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And especially especially since, I mean, if you're talking about a live performance, yeah, you can practice, you can practice, you can practice, you can do everything, you know. But you never know what's going to actually happen in a live performance, right? You know, anything could happen. Um, but when you're presenting work, like by the time I'm presenting it, I've already finished it. There's nothing more I, I can do. There's no on the spot, like, okay, I got to be on my A game when somebody else is listening to my music. Not really. Right. I, I, all my work is done by that point. So sp- speaking of work being done, uh, in a lot of interviews, you, you talk about how the first four measures in Baba Yetu took you over a week to write. And my question on that is what is the longest you've ever spent to write four measures of a song and how do you know when it's fully finished it was baba yetu oh my god i spent i mean yeah i don't usually spend four <laughs> like a week writing four bars of music i mean that's insanity right i mean it's not like you know oh you know day one these are the first three notes day two these are the next three notes or anything like that. no it's like i spent so much time writing ideas and throwing them out and throwing them out and throwing them out right i mean coming up with ideas is actually a pretty fast process at times but you know getting from your 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 b plus idea to your a minus idea and from your a minus idea to your a idea and way you know from your a idea to your a plus idea is the hardest most difficult thing to overcome right uh you know that incremental sort of improvement gets harder and harder, like everything, you know, the further along you go. So, I mean, I can write a piece of music. I can write a two, three minute piece of music just, you know, in an afternoon if I need to, but would it be any good or would it just be just kind of like forgettable music, right? And that's not what I'm in the business of writing. I'd rather not write forgettable music. I'd rather write music that lasts because why, what's the point of writing stuff that gets washed away by time? Is there like a trigger or an emotion maybe that you feel that you know that this is this is the version that that is staying? I'm not going to iterate on this version. The Eureka. Sometimes. Yeah. Often there is. Often there's a moment where it's just like, oh, this is it. You know, I got it. I got it. This feels good. Um, Usually what happens is I come up with the idea and then I will set it aside and then I'll just kind of vet the idea over the next couple of days. You know, just kind of like see if I'm humming it to myself. Um, and actively hum it to myself because sometimes in the context of like humming things to yourself, you'll naturally gravitate towards making minor adjustments that seem the most natural to you. Um, I mean, ultimately you want, for example, your melodic ideas, specifically your melodic ideas, I should say, to have a sense of, um, like 
inexorability about them, or what's a, what's a better word to say? it? Uh, a better word to say would be like, you want these ideas to come out as if this were the only possible way that this melody could possibly ever have been realized, right? You want a sense of, of um, rightness, you know, that this, you would never want to change a note of this because this is exactly how it's meant to be, right? Sometimes what you have to do is you have to come up with something that's kind of like 90% there, just kind of sing it to yourself over and over again. And then, you know, you'll just sort of naturally make these little adjustments that will take it that last 10% of the way to it being something that once a person listens to it, it will feel so comfortable and so fully formed to them that they'll swear they've heard it before. You know, they'll swear this is something that's already existed for centuries. And that's the trick with music, isn't it? Like the more you listen to a piece of music or the more a piece of music is familiar to you in some way, the more you actually like it, right? I think, you know, there's this, uh, you know, there are all these sort of like psychological games that we play as, as musicians where, you know, we try <laughs> to get people to listen to your song, you know, more than once, like twice, because if they hear it twice and they kind of get familiar with it, then it's more likely they'll want to hear it a third time and then a fifth time and a seventh time and then a tenth time. And pretty soon, you know, they're, they're streaming it 5,000 times a year, right? Like, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's what you'll want, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, we have little ways of doing that sort of thing. Like within a piece of music, we recapitulate ideas. You know, I take that, that Baba Yetu melody and then I repeat it over and over again across the, the, the song. But I make, I make changes to the way I present it. You know, and by the time you get to the song, you've heard that melody maybe four times, I think. Um, but it's so familiar to you by then um, that, y- you know, you-, you feel comfortable with it. Right. And that's what, like, I think Aaron Copeland said it. He said, that, like, a great melody um, has an inevitability about it. Right. So a great melody is one where, you know, you know in the back of your head what it's going to do, but you enjoy watching it do that anyway. And music is one of these rare art forms where it gets better the more you hear a piece of music, right? Um, you can't watch a movie or a TV show more than a couple of times. I mean, there are some, you know, they're cult hits. You know, I can watch certain movies over and over again, like The Lord of the Rings. I'll just watch that forever. Game of Thrones, I've watched that series maybe five or six times. Um you know, start the last season. <laughs> I, I love actually. I, people are gonna hate me this for this, but I actually love the way it ended. Um, okay, that's another. Okay. That's another whole thing. And that's I a whole stop, stop, the interview, stop the interview, Stop the interview. That's a controversial thing. We're not going there. But um, music is really one of those rare art forms where it's like the more you listen to, the more you you enjoy it, right? And that does not hold true for a lot of other art forms. I, I have to say, especially for Civ Four, Bobby Yetu, I remember that was like one of the first games ever, other than maybe Final Fantasy, that I would just leave on to listen to the opening credit. And it would just rotate over and over. I remember with Civ Revolution, the Goody Hut in Civ Revolution, there was a one in like six chance that it would play that. And like I would go over, over, over until it played. And then I just leave the mouse over and I just wait. Okay, and then after I heard a couple times, fine, I'll enter the goodie hut. Uh, and that's wow. Baba Yetu. Like, it's just, it's, uh, it's, it, you just it described exactly. It's like an earworm, and you just want to hear it over and over and over again. Um, so, yeah, you, you did it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, that's the trick. That's the trick, right? You, you want to write something that 
repeats elements, but each time the elements repeat, it's not exactly the same. Otherwise, it gets boring because what you never want to do is let your listener get smarter than your piece, right? And so every time you hear Baba, it's slightly different. It's sung by a different group of singers or, you know, instrumentation's different. You know, we're in a different key. Like that's the, that's the musical trick right there. That's really interesting. We're going to take a little bit of a break. We're going to get into our next section here. Uh, so we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Twenty twenty has been a rough year for everyone. Let's end the year with a fun little event involving your favorite civilization creators. Ho ho ho! We've gathered together a total of nine civilization streamers to host a charity event for Extra Life. But first of all, what is Extra Life? What is Extra Life? Extra Life is an organization that raises money for sick, local sick kids hospitals and Children's Miracle Network. Each streamer featured in the Civ Give will be raising money for a kids hospital of their choosing. We're calling the event the Civ Give, and it will be taking place on Sunday, December 20 at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 p.m. Eastern European Time, or 7 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time if you live in Australia, like me. Our team of streamers is looking to raise $5,000 for Extra Life and we are going to need your help. But if you can't donate, that is totally fine. There are other ways for you to help promote the event. There are ways you can help without directly donating. You can use the hashtag TheCivGive2020 on social media and tell your friends, your parents, and even your pets. We want to make this a trending topic, and we're going to need a lot of help. For those that want to donate, you can make a donation early, and it's totally okay to donate more than once. Donation link will be in the description of the video, and all donations are tax refundable. For any businesses or organizations listening to this message, consider donating prizes for us to give away during the event. And for any individuals listening to this message, this is going to be an event you won't want to miss. So join us on December 20th as we battle it out in civilization. If you like civilization and you like us, this is an event you don't want to miss. All of us are going to be there. We just need your support. See you there. Welcome back to the Civ Show podcast, where we suck so you don't have to. We still have special guest Christopher Tin here, and we want to give him a little bit of a challenge, if that's okay with you, Chris. Sure. Okay. So what we're going to do, we're going to describe... I, I heard in an interview you say, as long as you have a visual, you can kind of come up with a theme on the spot. Or oh, topic. boy. So we're going to paint a picture for you with words. All right. And we're going to see what the first idea that comes to your head okay, okay. so uh who wants to start this go ahead Mo. So, you, you, want, you want me to leave okay I'll, I'll, go ahead Mo. You, I'll, you, I'll, you I'll start leave. i'll start i'll start i'll start okay okay so there are pirates setting off for their very very first adventure they're seeking riches 
They have so much wanderlust, but then they approach a kraken in the middle of the ocean. End scene. Okay. And then, uh... Ah, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like that <laughs> That's at okay, all. that's okay. Uh, that's first okay. part is okay. That, I, I, dug, I, digged, I dug it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Don't worry, but that was okay. great. That was all great. Right. All right. I'll give you, uh, maybe this one might be a little easier for you. Okay. So I want you to. You guys yeah. got to know that I'm actually not really much of a pianist. So, <laughs> you know, you're jumping into this assuming that, that I am actually a pianist, but I'm really not. But. That was better, we'll, better we'll than anything I could do. Yeah. We'll do our best. We'll yeah. do our best. Yeah, we're yeah. doing our best. This we're is more of best. a storytelling <laughs> challenge, right? Like, okay. So, okay. So here you go. Let's see if you could visualize this. <clears throat> yeah. Riding on a red wagon down a steep mm. hill, jumping over a river and crashing into a tree. Go. The, the down the hill. So maybe yeah, we'll. Right. All right. Yeah, down the hill is really. I think. That's really more my process, really. Just kind of like noodling yeah. until something happens that I like. And then I will kind of run with that. So what would actually happen is if you said that, I would probably. Spend a good 10 minutes just doing random stuff, you know? And then... And then I would say, okay, well... I kind of like that. So then I would sort of take that and I would go, uh... You know, do I want to do it like this? Or do I want to, you know, like give it, uh... Sort of like a more sort of happier or pastoral sort of setting in a way. You know, how do I want to start with this basic idea? So, you know, for a pianist with limited means such as myself, it often <laughs> comes down to isolating ideas, right? So sometimes, you know, it starts with just a something like that. And then I think to myself, you know, you know, how do I, what do I add to that? And you sort of add the second layer, you know, the bass maybe, mm-hmm. the third layer, the middle movements, you know, the internal movements, ideas like that. And then you re you throw it in a blender and then maybe you sort of, you know, start all over, right? So it very rarely comes out ready to go right from the very first pass. Like it's often just like, you know, do something, right? <laughs> And then, you know, and yeah, yeah. And then maybe somebody says, ooh, and you say, okay, maybe I should do that. Because, you know, somebody just said, ooh, right? I mean, it it wasn't the turn I was expected it would go. Well, you know, know, right. And honestly, a lot of, you know, if you're not a great pianist like myself, you can actually turn that to your advantage in in a way, right? Like uh, a lot of times I'll just hit wrong notes and then I'll say, oh, well, that's kind of interesting, right? Uh, 
and, and so you sort of run with it, right? Yeah. And that's that's kind of the you know that's my creative process in a way. Yeah. It's not so much like you know oh you know I'm not say you know the the the, the pianist on you know who wants to be in what's that show um, whose line is it anyway right who can just kind of like, you know incredible you need to be actually a very good pianist to do that sort of stuff right okay um, yeah I am not. What I rely on is just sort of a um, a, a uh, sort of, you know, systematic sort of approach to identifying individual elements and then complementing them one at a time. It's like putting together a puzzle. Okay. It's like trial trial and error, right? Like that's that's resilience. That's like what we try to teach entrepreneurs is you just got to get out there. Doesn't need to be perfect. Work at it. And every time you do it, you'll get a little bit better and you'll figure it out. But don't presume you're going to begin with the perfect thing. You have to get out there and see what works. So that's I like that process. Well, I mean, that's the other thing, though. I mean, you have to get out there and see what works. But you can also you can't bog yourself down with trying to perfect the details while you're still in this phase of just throwing ideas at the paper. So if this were a real assignment, I would put on the piano patch like I am now, and I just hit record, like I, I'm doing right now. You know, it's kind of just <laughs> recording in the background, right? Um, and I would give myself no pressure whatsoever, right? Because that's the other thing that helps when you're being creative, like just kind of shutting everything off, right? So I'm not going to look at you guys for a second. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Blocked. Um, and I would just say to myself, okay, kid riding down the hill in a wagon or whatever the visual was okay so i think okay riding down the hill maybe i start with some you know something descending right and then i say to myself okay well is that okay maybe it's not so good so maybe i do something else something like that you know and then I'll just kind of keep going at it, right? And I'll just kind of come up with ideas and I'll, you know, just throw ideas out there. Sometimes, honestly, I'll just play things I'm already sort of familiar with, you know? You know, that's a little bit of the song Joy Spring, you know? You know, and sometimes... That just puts me in the right sort of creative mindset to explore different ideas. And then sometimes, you know, I'll just play a chord and then I'll play just totally some unrelated chord. And I'll say, okay, well, is there something good there? No, move on. Right? Do something else, right? Sometimes I'll hit wrong notes and I'll explore whether that did anything interesting for me. But there's often a, a phase where you just sort of like give yourself free reign to make a ton of mistakes and just throw ideas at the paper and not worry about if any of them are good. And, you know, that's why I do this in front of a computer too, so I can record everything, like an hour's worth of just noodling at the piano, right? And it just might be the last 10 seconds that makes any sense to anyone, but at least I've got it recorded and I can kind of revisit it later. And that's what happened for Sonia de Valare. Like I spent a good hour or two just sort of in my room at home playing the piano and then I think I started doing this. And I was like, oh, I like that. Okay, let's go with that, right? That's idea number one. Let's set that aside, right? And then at another point, I just went like that. 
birthday, Chris. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, hope easy to, I hope our show doesn't get taken down. <laughs> like this? Hey, man. <laughs> right? I did nice. that. And then yeah. my wife walks in, and she's like, oh, I like that. And then she walks out. And then I'm like, okay, I did it. I did it. I brought my wife into the room. Thank you, Mrs. Tin. <laughs> she came in. I, I lured her in. Fantastic. I've got a hit on my hands, right? Success. So that's kind of the process. That's the creative process, right? So, you know, we can keep playing if you want, but I mean, it's, it's, it's gonna, it would stretch out your podcast. Yes. <laughs> I'm just hoping that uh, there's no copyright strike on this video anymore. No, I don't think so. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. You can edit that out if you want, I guess. <laughs> no, it's okay. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. No, we can, we can, we can stop at the plane there. I think you've uh, kind of shown us a lot in your, in your writing process and that's uh, super, super fascinating. Um, and as a mission, my idea wasn't very interesting anyway. So. Oh, and, and sorry, Nystagmus. <laughs> sorry. If you want to run with uh, red rag, red red wagon crashing into the tree, you go with that. Okay, okay that's the you, next. If it's going to be your next theme. big hit. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> Civ seven. Here we come. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you can just read uh, Calvin and Hobbes. There you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I want to kind of talk about your your recent work right you posted a, 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 a post on reddit reddit recently asking for people to join a, a choir stay-at-home choir tell us a little bit about what that is okay so this is um there's an organization based in in uh, the uk called the stay-at-home choir and this is an organization that sprang up after the pandemic shut down choirs worldwide, right? Suddenly you have thousands and thousands and thousands of singers around the world who, you know, just kind of miss singing. And so what this organization has started doing is organizing basically virtual concerts um, or, you know, short performances, not full-length concerts. But what singers can do is they can just kind of sign up um, by going to stayathomechoir.com and then selecting a project that they want to be a part of. And then... uh, the organization basically, you know, gives you the sheet music and they, they give you a guide track that says, OK, you're now singing tenor part on Sonia de Volare. And this is how it goes. Repeat after me, you know, and then you record yourself singing into your laptop or, you know, your iPhone or whatever. Right. Um, and then you send it to them, the video and the audio, and then they cut it together like a giant virtual choir, you know, and you can watch the, the end product video and you you can find your yourself in kind of a, you know, one of these little squares somewhere on the screen singing this piece. Right. And um, it was kind of exciting to me that, um, you know, they wanted to do Sonia de Volare as their next project. Right. And so. Um, you know, like a lot of their previous projects have been Beethoven's Ninth, you know, and stuff like that, right? So Beethoven's Ninth, my little theme for Civ Six. <laughs> um, and I'm going to be pretty involved, uh, you know, in the in the the process. I don't quite know what they want of me yet. Like I might, you know, do little messages here and there, Q and As, you know, like a master class or something. I mean, you know, that's one thing I have over Beethoven. I can actually do these things. I'm, I, I'm, I've beat him in the living department. Uh, so um, it's going to be a fun sort of thing. And, uh, you know, I think the singer community has really taken to it as well. And, you know, what, what's great for me, too, and I think what's great for the game industry in the whole is that it's going to introduce a lot of people to Sonia Duvalare. All right. I mean, I think what 
what we're constantly trying to work at is more mainstream acceptance of everything related to video games, especially, you know, on my side, on the musical side, right? Like mm-hmm. there is a very concerted effort, um, you know, by me and some of my colleagues, frankly, to try and um, get video game themes, video game soundtracks, just sort of like welcomed more into the popular music world, right? Um and things like video games live are great for that sort of thing. And the classical world too. I mean, that's what I mean, I'm I'm trying a lot to do right now. Get, you know, a piece that is written originally for a video game to be accepted by the classical community. And that's what I'm hoping that the stay-at-home choir project will will help do. It'll introduce Sonia de Volare to a lot of singers who, once the pandemic is over, might actually perform the piece with their actual choirs, you know, with an actual orchestra, right? That's the hope. Wow. Yeah. One of my, my things that pops in my head is, and I don't know if you would know the answer to this because they're doing it virtually. And you did mention how collaboration is a lot different during the pandemic. Um, and how do the these uh, the singers feel about this? How they virtually just record kind of themselves? Is it like a uh, what's the experience like? Have you have you kind of had your um, your ear to the ground on that at all? Because I would be very curious about that because they're used to hearing each other at the same time um, as they're singing. Now they're doing it by themselves, um, and it must be kind of an adjustment that's putting it very mildly, I guess. Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, I think they dislike it. I mean, you know, not they, and you know, when compared to the real thing, because joining a choir is not just about singing with a group of people. It's also about the community that you form around being in that choir. Right. So, you know, uh, to go back to the previous point, like, you know, I think there is nothing more sort of like there's no more bonding experience for a singer than to be singing side by side with other singers, you know, singing at the top of your lungs, a piece that everyone loves, you know, acting as a cohesive whole and just, you know, blasting out this sound, you know, with your own body as the instrument. I mean, I think that's a very powerful experience singing, right? Especially in a choir. Um, uh, and so that's been taken away from them. And no amount of like virtual singing from your 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 bedroom is going to replace that, Right. You know, there's something visceral about standing side by side with other people and then, you know, just like, you know, communicating with them, you know, and, and just rehearsing with them. I mean, it's a, it's a great feeling. Um, and then, you know, not only that, choirs also serve as social hubs in a way for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people sort of build a, a community and friendships and things like that around the choirs that they're involved in. So that's been taken away from singers as well. So not that, you know... I, I think there's a lot of worth in doing these virtual choirs, especially to just keep people happy and excited about doing, you know, music. But uh, it can't replace the real thing. And, and, and you know, we all just want to get back to singing. And so we can't wait for this thing to be over. Well, hopefully vaccines apparently come the rollout. So hopefully fingers crossed. Yeah, I, I think... You know, I mean, we're pretty far down the list of, you know, priority vaccinations, but <laughs> hopefully soon, you know, before I have to get on a plane again, I'll be able to get one and my family too. So. Uh, Zoe, I, I believe, uh, do you have any questions regarding uh, his involvement in movies? I think you did. For mo- Well, I had a question about the I let the shiver of the sky. Right. Okay. Um, why don't I ask that one? Um, so specifically, uh, to shiver the sky, which is just a great title, by the way, Thanks. you know, to, to, to make the sky shiver. That's how good this is. Um, <laughs> so is the most successfully crowdfunded classical album. So why did you go the route of crowdfunding? 
Uh, and like, what was that process like? You know, honestly, the experience was a lot of fun. I mean, it was really, um, I'd never really had any sort of, um, I'd never really had a ton of direct contact with my fan base before. And then this isn't because I'm, I'm shy or I don't like to talk to people or whatever. I mean, I mean, clearly, I mean, I'm here yammering my head off. Right. So I, I, have, I have no shortage of things to say. Um, <laughs> The uh, Kickstarter campaign gave me a nice format to do it, to have a community that, you know, sort of like, you know, subscribe to this project that I could narrowly focus my discussions around, right? I mean, you know, like uh, whenever I tend to talk to people online or in podcasts, it, it sort of runs the gamut, right? It's really nice to have 3,000 people that I can talk to about one very specific thing that means a lot to me at that given moment, which is composing this album, right? It also gave me metrics on where my fans are, you know, how much they're willing to support me, which it turns out is a lot, right? Um, and I mean, it was a really great experience and I, I plan on doing it again. I mean, I'm going to launch another Kickstarter in about a month or so um, for my next album, right? And... You know, it was a great experience. And actually, I got to meet a lot of them in person, too. And I've, you know, formed a lot of friendships, too, with some of the people who were just really kind of involved in the campaign and came to the sessions and things like that. So that's been really nice. The reason I did it um, is, uh, one, it enables me to fast track a uh, the, the album recording process. In the past, I recorded an album, waited four years for it to make money, and then recorded the next one, right? So this way I can just sort of get the wheels turning faster and actually crank out things more than every four to six years, right? That's no, that's no reasonable release schedule for any sort of artist, right? What you really want to do is putting out something once every year or two, right? So now I can do that a little more, which is great for me. The other reason is I saw some of my friends have tremendous success doing it. Like Tommy Tallarico, he's done so many Kickstarters for Video Games Live. They've all been hugely successful. Um, my friend BT, he's a, you know, a, a trance artist, um, pioneer in electronic music. He did a very successful one too. Um, and then a colleague of mine, Jeremy Soule, did one. <laughs> now that one was successful when he launched it and got everyone's money. And then seven years later, he still hasn't delivered the symphony, right? Um, and, you know, like I use that sort of as a cautionary tale in a way, right? Jeremy, you know, he made all these promises to his fan base and he didn't follow up on them, sadly. And I respect him as a musician, but... I don't think you can do that to your fan base. Honestly, you really can't do that. I think my fans are the, outside of my family, my fans are the most important people in my life, right? Because they are what keep, they keep everything going in a way, right? And so I go to great lengths to keep my fans happy and to engage with the community. And, and I mean, for one, I really like to do it. Generally, they have very nice things to say. I mean, sometimes they say really negative things and then I get really depressed for a while. Mm -hmm. But um, generally speaking, it's all very positive. Um, but more than that, I mean, that's just what you have to do as a musician. You know, you have to just sort of connect with your community because they're the ones who are going to listen to your music and spread the gospel about your music, right? Literally. So I'm totally invested in this idea of like cultivate your true fans, take good care of them. You know, that, that pool of fans will grow over time. 
I mean, I'm still a niche artist. Maybe I'm a celebrity in Civ World, but, you know, outside <laughs> of Civ World, maybe not so much, right? Um, but, you know, I, I really believe in, in um, you know, being good to people and, you know, just, just giving people a good experience. And, you know, like I said, like, I mean, I'm trying to do everything that Jeremy Soul didn't do with his, you know, I'm trying to do this, do this right and do right by people. And try, hopefully, you know, like give... Hopefully sort of like, uh, you know, redeem the video game composer class on the Kickstarter, you know, platform, right? A little bit. I feel mm -hmm. like when he sort of failed to deliver on his album, it sort of hurt the rest of us who might want to do something similar, right? So I really right. thought it was, you know, incumbent on me to try to do something that, that you know made people say, hey, look, you know, a video game composer can write concert music and do a great Kickstarter. And so that's what I've been trying to do. Well, I mean, I think we've all had maybe personal experience of a negative experience on Kickstarter. Uh, I, for example, uh, ordered headphones. They were like wireless headphones and they came four months later and they were not waterproof like they promised. And now they don't work. So... <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, there's always that risk when you have Kickstarter. So like, I think people are aware of it. At least they're, they're aware that you're pre-funding a project, right? So in your case, when you, when you deliver it, you're just meeting your end of the deal. But like, there is the risk involved for Kickstarter. I think everyone's kind of aware of that. Yeah, anyway. I, I think so too. And I'm glad to hear that. I mean, I was certainly late on mine because I mean, I had a kid in the middle of it, which totally <laughs> killed my productivity. So Yeah. I think, and I think the key is when things do go wrong is just be honest and can't communicate. Cause yeah, I agree more. I've had similar things where, and it was, you didn't communicate. And when they do communicate, I think people are a lot more understanding and empathetic. You're, you're making the effort. Uh, Cause to sometimes there are setbacks, you know? Yeah. Um, but that communication piece demonstrates who you are and how you care about your fans. Um, so very critical. Yeah, I agree. That's very important to communicate. Uh, Kind of building on that, we have a lot of younger listeners to our podcast and to our show uh, who aspire to have the same success as you. And what advice would you give them for, for these aspiring either musicians or just aspiring career driven people? Um, much of the musician, much of the music business and much of the world really is a relationship business, right? And it's either relationships between, you know, you and professional colleagues or your bosses or even just your community, right? Um, you know, like I said, I place my community first outside of, you know, the actual loved ones that I have in my life. You know, I, I really, really believe in, 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 you know, cultivating and taking care of my community of fans. Um, but it also means, you know, being a good person to work with, you know, being good to the people who hire you to write music for their games or their films or whatever it is, you know, taking care of them, um, doing the right thing, you know, not not trying to cheat anyone. I mean, it, I feel like it should go without saying that you shouldn't do these things, but, you know, not everyone's gotten the, the memo, you know, be a good person, right? Um, you want to live your life. You want to conduct your business in the same way that you live your life in a way, right? Being a good person, being, you know, it's not a hard thing to do. Um, and it's so important on, on so many levels. And honestly, you know, people like to be around good people or like to work with good people, right? I mean... You know, no one wants to work with somebody who is like, you know, difficult to work with or antisocial or, or whatever. You know, people will gravitate naturally towards people who are just, 
you know, great collaborators, right? So, you know, to put it succinctly, be a good hang, you know, like be, <laughs> be nice. someone that people like to be around, right? Whether it's online or, or um, you know, in person. I mean, just be just a nice person. Like it's it's not that hard, right? Just just be a a, a person. Like uh, you know, uh, you know, just get out there and 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 smile and you know, just shake hands and be friendly and and be responsive and. Elbow taps now. You know, like, yeah, these days, right? Yeah, yeah don't shake hands. Just, uh, you know, just stuff like that, right? But, I mean, that's, that's just how the music business works. You know, people will work with you if they like you. And likability goes a long way. Musical talent, talent in anything, of course, is the other half of the equation. That's very important, too. But likability, I mean, anyone can, anyone can achieve that. And it really, really does go a long way. Okay, that's 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 good advice. Uh, Ms. Stangus, do you have any any question? Any questions? Um, the one that was that was really burning. I know we we're not going to talk about Civ in this section, but there was one last civilization question I, I really wanted to ask. <laughs> okay, um, is and you know in civilization they have great people, um, and one of them is the great musician, um, and. I wanted to know after like all the accomplishments that, that you've had, especially in, in repping video game um, music as well, is um, do you see there's a chance that maybe um, you might be represented among the great musicians in the next civilization game? Probably not. I mean, come on. Like, really? I mean, I love reading that stuff online. I see it a lot in comment sections and stuff like that. It cracks me up. I love it. I mean, I, sure. I would love it if they did that. I mean, I'd be so flattered. Is it going to happen? Probably not. Or, I mean, you know, like, is Sid a great inventor? Or, you know, like, has Sid found his way into the game? Like, if Sid hasn't, then there's no way I am, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of a fun thing to joke about and fantasize. And somebody actually even made a mod <laughs> where I do become oh, a... Yeah. yeah, there is a great musician mod. Um well, I'm you, you're, yeah, we gotta tell some members of our community about that mod. For oh, sure. I mean, maybe yeah, I don't. Know. I I think it'd be hilarious. I I would love it. I would be so honored. But it's I you know I have no expectation that it would ever. I think Sid didn't didn't Sid Myers. I think for Civ Four, one of the expansions, the, it wasn't Leonard Nimoy that read the quote. I think it was Sid Myers that read the quote. I could be wrong though. Uh, otherwise, it was some random person. But it sounded like like who? Why would anyone care about who's reading this quote? Uh, after the fact, so maybe he read it. He read himself into the. Have you ever met Sid Myers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sid's nice. totally nice. I mean, he's you know, um, you know, he. Well, they're based in Maryland, right? So I'm not out there very often, but I, I think I met him, you know, just once, and he's he's very sweet, and he's quite a musician himself, actually. A lot of those those uh, men and women over at Firaxis are actually quite accomplished musicians themselves, you know. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's always good to, to chat with them and, and meet up with them. You know, they're good people. To uh, bring this back to the non-civilization side of this section. <laughs> it's okay. Now, now that we wanted to ask that question eventually. So uh, I'm glad you got that out there. Um, you have like a, a few hidden treasures that you've composed of that aren't really like out in the public eye. At least not like in their face. A good example of this is your rendition of Taylor Swift's Bad Blood. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, is there a chance of a full album or at least more tracks of covers of popular songs? No, there isn't. No. <laughs> that there was a one-off isn't. kind of thing? There is no. I mean, that was just a fun, random thing. Like, I just bought this sample library called Spitfire, you know, Spitfire Audio, right? They released orchestral samples. I just had a little, I wanted to play with them just to kind of get a sense of, you know, what they were, what they sounded like. I'd just gone to this Taylor Swift concert. I'd met her beforehand, you know, backstage. Um, and I was at the concert and I was like, Hey, this is, you know what, let's, let's do a little arrangement of bad blood and, you know, let's throw it online. Right. So it was just kind of like a, a fun creative exercise, I guess. Okay. And it just sort of went nowhere for a while until she tweeted it. Right. And of course, Taylor, her tweets, you know, however many massive following, massive following. Right. And then suddenly it gets picked up by like you know, People Magazine and Cosmopolitan and stuff like that. I'm like, I never thought (laughs) Cosmopolitan would mention me ever, right? I never thought I would be found in the hallowed pages of Cosmopolitan. Yet there I was, courtesy of Taylor. Um, Yeah, there are random things that I've done over the years. Yeah, what else are you hiding from us? What else? Well, there? there's a reason things are hidden, right? Okay. I mean, but here's the thing. Like, okay, so this goes back to you know my 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 little improvisatory, improvisatory piano section earlier. Um, I think you have to give yourself a safe space for trying out crazy things and making mistakes. And even if they're ridiculously embarrassing or total failures, you can just sort of wash them away and, and, you know, never mention them again. Right. But unless you take risks or allow yourself to, you know, venture outside your comfort zone, you'll never actually find out what really works out there. Right. And I mean, sometimes that means doing something totally wacky like a Taylor Swift cover. I mean, if that had really taken off and Taylor was like, hey, Chris, you want to work together on an album? Then I'd be like, "Okay, I'm doing this. This is what I'm doing now. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, it was a fun thing, but it, you know, it didn't really open any new doors for me other than, you know, cosmopolitan. Um, I so, you know, like I, I think I think. You know, that's another bit of career advice right there. Just take chances, try crazy things, form a band, do something, write crazy music, you know, do do things that are totally outside of what you think you're supposed to be doing. Because even if it falls flat on its face, it's going to make what you do as your main thing better in some way. Zoe, do you have any uh, final questions? Do, do I have any uh, final questions? Um, I guess... Just in general, with music and video games, like it's now like it's hand in hand now. Like I think um, a video game is now judged not just by its content and its graphics, but like by the the the, the musical composition. Um, I guess if I were to like Frankenstein a question out of that, uh, you know, how do you feel? Uh, how do you feel mu- about the, like how music has now affected video games and uh, moving forward, how, you know, critical musical scores are going to become and make it, like make or make or breaking a video game. Here you uh, go. There's you a know, question in there. <laughs> I mean, I don't, uh, you know, yes, they are an important aspect to the storytelling and they can, um, they can take on a life of their own outside of the game. It's kind of rare, but, it can happen. Um, they can be a great platform for launching new artists. I mean, I was basically launched 
through video games, right? Um, they can be, I mean, you know, there's a lot of great stuff that's happening in video games and video game music, not just from traditional video game music composers, but like from the pop side as well. Like the Red Dead 2 soundtrack, which was produced by this amazing Canadian record yes. producer, Daniel Lenoir. Um, it's gorgeous, man. It's so vibey. And that's Daniel Lenoir's thing. Like I'm a fan of his work. You know, he's worked with Brian Eno. He's produced records for like Emmylou Harris and people like that. Just a great record producer. So vibey. And that's exactly what Red Dead 2 needed. Like this soulful Bayou vibe, you know, or, you know, the Southern vibe, right? It was great. Um, so, you know, what's great about game music is that it comes from all angles now. You know, you can have anyone from Daniel Lenoir to, like, in-house composers writing music for the games. Sometimes it just sort of, like, goes away once the game goes away. Like, everything has a shelf life, right? Sometimes it lasts a little longer. Um, you can't really tell. But, you know, what's great is that there's a wide variety of stuff being written out there for a wide variety of games. And it's, it's a great new frontier, I guess. For, for musicians. So I love working in gaming. And then the Stangus, do you have any last thoughts, questions? Yeah, I got mine uh, in there. Uh, going on that kind of theme of like the video game music um, is is uh, whether or not, like when you said that things have a shelf life or they can last longer than the game, um, um, my point is also maybe something can also take on a life of its own, right? Um, independent of the game itself too. Um, and with movies that happens quite often, right? You know, we know scores from certain movies and we just, we can enjoy them independent of watching the movie. Um, which I, I think that's where, I think that's where a lot of video games is going. I'm kind of not really asking a question though. So, <laughs> uh, I just, that's that a thought that's went into my head that <laughs> I would, I would, I would say though, that there needs to be a distinction here because, um, yes, there are great classic, um, film scores that everyone will love outside of the film itself. Like I will put on the Jurassic Park soundtrack any yeah, day of the that's week, the right? Classic one or I'm Star Wars, <laughs> Indiana Jones, stuff like that, right? Um, I, but those are still the soundtracks. You know, you're still, you still associate yourself with those movies. Like, yes, they're great soundtracks, but you know, they're very. They're very much still tied into the franchise. So games, you know, I mean, like Final Fantasy, there's a whole, you know, canon of music that people will listen to outside of the game, but will always still associate with the game. The real trick, and this takes time, is if a piece of music, if someone can discover a piece of music and love it, and it takes on a life of its own, and they have no idea it came from a game, right? Because most of the time you will still discover a piece of game music or film score or whatever in the context of, you know, this is this is the theme from whatever, or this is, you know, whatever. The real trick is if something can enter the popular canon unbeknownst to the general public that it was actually a piece of game music. So mm. there is a okay. portion of the uh, public um, that has discovered Baba Yetu outside of the game itself and have no, no idea whatsoever that it actually came from a game. That's the trick. If you can get that, that's a kind of a rare thing. That's a really rare thing, right? And I'm trying to think of examples from the film world. I mean, I'm, you know, there are lots of popular songs that 
that we know now as songs, but that originated in a film, for example, but they've since sort of like stepped away from that film and maybe the film is forgotten, but now they're a part of our canon, right? That's the real trick. And that's not an easy thing to achieve. Yeah, I think The Weeknd and Kendrick Lamar wrote something for Black Panther that took a life of its own. Um, I don't remember. I don't recall the track, but I, I know exactly what you're talking sure, about. Sure, sure. Yeah, exactly. That sort of thing, you know, or I mean, there are a lot of like American songbook, you know, classics, right, that were originally written for some um, Fred Astaire movie back in the day. And nobody remembers the movie, but somehow this one random song has survived, you know, and you'd know it if you heard the song. But that's the real trick, right? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for your time, Christopher Tin. Really, really appreciate it. We want to give you the opportunity to take these last final moments to say whatever you want. Shout out whoever you want. Promote whatever you want. Uh, go ahead. I got to give a shout out to um, 2K Games and and um, the team at Firaxis and my old buddy Soren Johnson, who um, brought me on board the franchise in the first place. I mean, you know, like uh, none of this, none of this would have happened had I not been pulled into Civ 4 to write Baba Yetu. So that's where, that's the true thanks that I need to give at the end of this podcast. Oh, well, really appreciate having it on. Thank you very much, man. It's been a great guest. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, thank you very much. Good thanks to meet you all. Chris. Take care.